Ladies and gentlemen, you are tuned in to the Paul Leslie Hour. Hey, make yourself at home. This episode is the return of John Paradise. The very interesting Mr. Paradise is a writer, music aficionado, live music taper, and archivist, singer, and is also known as a non-mainstreamer. Uh-oh. And an amateur philosopher? Uh-huh. The Paul Leslie Hour would like to thank all of you generous listeners who keep the show going. Want to be among them? Here's all you do. Go to www.thepaulleslie.com slash support. And you're in like Flynn. And ladies and gentlemen, please be aware, the views and comments made by the guests on this show are not necessarily the opinions of the Paul Leslie Hour or any of the talent or associates of the show. This is called a legal disclaimer. If you got a problem with something someone says, maybe, well, stop being such a baby. (laughs) Let's go to paradise. That is the second interview of John Paradise here on the Paul Leslie Hour. Hey, it's me. Ladies and gentlemen, it's truly a pleasure to announce the return of a guest who last appeared on this show in 2018. I would say he's a provocateur, a thinker about our times, John Paradise is most certainly a scholar and somewhat of an amateur philosopher. He has an M.A. in psychology and a very interesting person. Welcome back, John. Thank you, Paul. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you, too. And thank you for having me on again. (laughs) My pleasure. Now, I think that anyone who follows you on Facebook or any other social media platform They might notice your memes. How would you describe the memes that you post and create? Well, the first word that comes to mind is, especially if I'm trying to explain to somebody in very few words, I would say if if one were to look at my Facebook page, especially if they were an advocate or somebody who embraced the mainstream narrative, and even if not, they would have to say that it's a bit of a subversive Facebook page. (laughs) because I am relentlessly posting things, many different things, but especially my memes that are uh, poking at, poking, not fun at, maybe sometimes poking fun at, but just trying to cast doubt on and inform people against, against following the mainstream narrative. I see. So and even as even as I was preparing, even as I was preparing to uh, engage with you for this interview, right at the cusp of the beginning of the interview, I made a meme, made a brand new meme just like that, and posted because I, I was reading that I read that the first new the first COVID, the first death from the how do you say it now I'm always I'm, I think it's Amerikan or. Is that how it's said? I th- I'm not sure. However you say it, we'll figure that out. But there's been the first death in England due to the Omicron. Right. 
That's the way I've been saying it. The first death. So I was thinking, you know, I've heard that it was mild. You know, that, that particular variant that it was mild. So I was thinking a person could maybe die from the common cold. And I quickly found an article that I scanned it. And a person, there are people who can actually die from the common cold. So I just made a little meme that says, you can die from the common cold too. So <laughs> you can die for the common cold too. So let's shut down for that next time. Right. It may not be as serious as COVID, but sometimes it can just do the trick. So you could make the case that uh, Omicron, or how did you say it? Omicron? Omicron. Omicron is now running neck and neck with Alec Baldwin in terms of fatalities. Yeah, very true. That's a very quick observation, Paul. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know, it was just yesterday you shared with me a segment from the Common Sense Show with yes. Dave Hodges. Right. And that's a multi-platform show. You can listen to it. It's on Spotify. But they also break up the show into YouTube videos. And right. to tell people about what you passed along to me, the title was John Stossel Lawsuit Reveals Media Duplicity. A very, very interesting little piece. And just to tell everybody a little bit about it, John Stossel has been fact-checked on a few occasions by Facebook. And he's suing the fact-checkers on their bias. And basically, you know, you think of fact-checker as being something rooted in truth and Facebook, as it turns out, their positioning is kind of like, we never said fact-checking is factual, it's our opinion. Right. That's a bit, that's an eye-opener. <laughs> when it comes right down to it, when they get into court, they actually, they're kind of squirming, I guess. And they're admitting, or revealing, or admitting that it's just their opinion. Right. Which, I think I was in the fourth grade when the teachers taught us the difference between fact or opinion, and they would show you a certain statement, and you had to write, is this a fact or is this an opinion? And so now fact and opinion are becoming, at least in Facebook's eyes, synonymous. They're becoming the same. <laughs> they are. Yeah, like, I mean, you when you see fact check on Facebook at this point, I don't think either one of us believes that it's the truth. But theoretically... One would hope that a fact a fact check would support the truth. We hope. You know, that's what one would hope a fact check would do. And yet, they admit that it doesn't. They admit it. For some reason, I don't think that's going to be widely reported in the news. No, no, I don't think so either. The headline should read something like, Facebook fact checks turn out to be bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings up a good point. There is a mainstream narrative out there, and you could say there's the mainstream or the the corporate media narrative that's out there, and it's perpetuated by things like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. And then there's other, several other narratives or views that one can have, and frequently, in my opinion, those things are the truth. But you're somebody, increasingly, you've challenged mainstream or corporate narratives. What got you to start questioning? 
I think, first of all, I am the type of person who questions everything. I always have been, even in school, if I was taught something. And even if I believed that it had, that it was true or had some truth to it, I would always think there's always another way to look at it. You know, there's always, even if this is considered the way to do something, there's always another way or they could, or, you know, it could be wrong or like, What's considered to be the truth, what's considered to be science or whatever, is a matter almost of fashion. It can be a, almost like a matter of fashion. So everybody, at a certain time, everybody believes in this one narrative of truth. And then, like, maybe 20 years later, the pendulum will swing the other way. And everybody will believe something totally different. You know, it's like they, they people get on the bandwagon. And there's even a philosopher who talked about this, and I can't remember his name. Hmm. So I've always questioned the truth. So I also was kind of ready when in March, the middle of March of 2020, around, would it be the 15th, maybe the 16th or 17th, when the lockdown began? I was ready to be skeptical of it because of a few friends that I had spoken to who you would, the average person might call them conspiracy theorists. <laughs> Those who have to call this kind of people, but this one girl I used to talk to at the health food store that I go to, the Erie they changed their name, but it's a health food store where I live in Erie, Pennsylvania. And I used to talk to her for a few hours sometimes about different things. And I can't even come up specifically, but she would tell me about all of the things that they're planning to do to us. Hmm. And then I spoke to her parents who were also into this kind of thing. This probably was six months, months before I ever heard of covid but she was saying something like they want everybody to be vaccinated and they will make having your driver's license contingent upon being vaccinated. So I had had that idea in my head that there would be some kind of, um, you know, agenda that would uh, push something like mandatory vaccination. So I was ready to glom on to the idea that the main that we were being lied to, you know, that the media was bullshit. Also, I had been listening to Pam Popper, who has a YouTube channel, and she started to talk about it, too, about how at the beginning of the lockdown, there was so few actual deaths compared to if you compared at that point, if you compared the number of deaths from covid to the uh, flu, COVID was well under 20,000, maybe even not even 10,000, I don't remember, but it was very low. And then an average flu year could be 80,000 deaths. And like, so she's saying based, and this was stuff that she was looking up on the CDC website, these numbers, you know, so these are numbers that anybody could access themselves. And they're actually part of the mainstream too. You know, I mean, a, a website like that is accessible to everyone, and it's not it's not really controversial information, right? Right. But so the news, the the mainstream news, 
is even contradicting other sources that everybody would normally seem to trust. Right. Yeah. So but based on that, you know, and I believed her, she's a, um, her channel has to do with health and following a healthy diet and a healthy vegan diet. That's the main thrust of her YouTube channel. And she also was against, even before COVID, she was uh, what you'd call, you'd have to call her instead of trying to come up with a long term to describe what she is, she would be an anti-vaxxer. Hmm. Now, she was against vaccination. So I was influenced by her, too. So I almost feel like I would have never believed the mainstream narrative to begin with. But I have these other people who help to inform me. Do you believe we're being lied to? I do. I definitely believe we are being lied to. What about? I think... We are being lied to about the lethality of COVID. That's one of the things we're being lied about. I don't doubt that it's real. I, I I, I tend to think it's real. And I tend to think a person can get sick. And I, and I think, you know, some people could die because of it. But I think those numbers are very much inflated. So I think we are being lied to about the how lethal it is. It's what would it be? It's the death rate of COVID. I think we're being lied to about that. That's one thing we're being lied to. And I think we're also being lied to about the, it's almost, I feel like it's a duh type of thing to say this. Like we're being lied to about the safety and the efficacy of the vaccines as well. But I'm so convinced of that. It's like saying, you know, the sky is blue. Right. Yeah. Because, I just believe that. I believe that um, more and more, I believe that just about everything we get through mainstream media, if it's not a lie, it's manipulated in some way (laughs) for some purpose that deviates from the pure truth. Right. You know, so you can't go wrong by doubting the mainstream media. (laughs) Well, this is kind of how I see it increasingly. I don't think that everything you see in corporate media is false. Of course, I don't think that. But I will say, I have noticed, the more vociferous, the more, when they get to the point where it seems like they're they're hyperventilating about a certain point, the stronger they seem to express something, the least true it is. Mm -hmm. You know? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I don't think everything's a lie either, but... Right. Most of the, all the important things are. <laughs> Was it Shakespeare who said, Methinks thou doth protest too much? Yeah, I think the lady doth protest too much. That's it. Right. There it is. That's from Macbeth, I think. <laughs> That's right, Macbeth. I think it's from. Well, we want to get our Shakespeare right so we sound smart, but. <laughs> but I'm too lazy to look it up and be interviewed at the same time. But I think it is Macbeth. How does it feel to speak or when you write the truth? How does it feel to speak and write the truth? Yeah. Well, it feels really good to write the truth, you know, and to and to try and what you think. Like in my case, I've done a lot of memes. So I feel great writing memes and posting and that feels good. Speaking the truth can feel good too, but 
when you're speaking the truth to somebody who doesn't believe you, you don't have the satisfaction that you are able to imagine you have when you post a meme. And in your mind, you're thinking, I've just stated the truth and everybody's going to believe it. And I'm not hearing any, I'm not getting any immediate flat, you know. And most of the people who respond are of my opinion. Right. I've like amassed, I have amassed a group of Facebook friends who believe what I believe for the most part. And I think that's a good thing. I mean, you want to meet, you want to, you want to uh, reach people who don't believe. You don't want to always be preaching to the choir. Right. But I think it's to some degree helpful to join the herd of non-sheep, you know, that that group, not of sheep, but of whatever we would be, what would we be? We'd be like lions or something, you know, to join. I don't know if they travel that way, but to, to get an aggregate of people who believe what you believe. And I think Facebook is going to, to see that. And I think hopefully that is going to have some power because they say that we are being... Well, they have the technology. This sounds this sounds paranoid. I mean, well, now it does. it shouldn't sound paranoid now, based on the way things are today. But the idea that if somebody said you're being watched, that sounds paranoid. But they have the techno they have the technology to monitor everything we do, and if they want to, they will. You know, so if somebody somebody like me, I don't think any there's I don't think there's anyone particularly monitoring me probably. There's some kind of um, automated, computerized system that watches me when I get banned from Facebook or my account gets restricted. But I don't think I'm such a high-profile person that any individual is watching John Paradise. But they could if they wanted to. So they are able to hear the voice. This should be. So, this is potentially powerful too. People are maybe afraid to say certain things when they're on the phone or when they're posting, because potentially in the future they feel they might get into trouble. But if enough people are saying, fuck you to the government and fuck you to the mainstream media, that's a vote in itself. They try to hide the fact that there may be a majority of people who don't believe them. You know, they want to convey the idea that most people are going on, are going along with the narrative. But in fact, they would be the first to know if people are not. <laughs> and that should scare them. Yeah. You know, because they would be, wouldn't they be the first to know? Well, there's indications here and there that they are aware that most people don't buy so many of the narratives that are put forth. For example, many of Joe Biden's YouTube videos, you would look at them as of a month ago, and there would be, you know, 50,000 thumbs down and 800 people who liked it. It would be like 90% of the people, I'm pulling that number out of thin air, but almost everybody disliked this video of Biden or Kamala Harris speaking. Right. Well, now what YouTube has done is they've taken away the dislike button so that you can't see it. Right which would reinforce what you're saying. Yeah. 
And they try to make an excuse for that, like they don't want to discourage the feeling or hurt the feelings of the the person who's making the video. <laughs> or appearing. But in fact, the person who makes the video can actually see the thumbs down. Right. It's the public that can't. Right. So, I mean, that's a, that's a step to manipulate because they don't, I mean, they're trying to silence our voice. They're trying to silence the voice, the power that that thumb, that that thumbs down has because there's a resounding thumbs down to Joe Biden. There's a resounding thumbs down to believing in the mainstream narrative. And there's a resounding thumbs down to, uh, wanting, you know, to, uh, the vaccine. I, I think. Well, John, are there heroes out there presenting what you believe is the truth but is contrary to the mainstream? You mentioned Pam Popper, but... Yeah. Well, Anomaly is one of the heroes. And also, there's another person whose name... Who? Oh, I can't... I just, I'm just drawing a blank on her name. But she, I, 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 we, we've talked about her before. She is anti-mask, and she's an, definitely anti-vac. Hmm. Lives in Orange County, California, and she has been this way since the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think I'm, I'm just, I'm block, I'm, my, I, I'm having a mind block because I'm. Probably for the very reason I'm being interviewed. Under any normal circumstance, I would really remember her name. And she's a she's a hero too. She is one of the. She's just as big a hero as Anomaly. Hmm. The healthy American. Wouldn't be Peggy Hall. Peggy Hall. I don't know how I could forget about forget her name, but she is definitely a hero. Well, tell us about Anomaly. What is it about Anomaly that you appreciate? Well, I appreciate that he just relentlessly speaks the truth, and he's not trying to gain the favor of any one side when it comes to to politically, because he definitely favors the conservative side. He definitely favors Republicans. But he will, he will not just continue to worship somebody if they should fail in his eyes. You know, so he, so he was a big before the election. He was definitely was a big supporter of Trump, for example. But he has, over time, he has turned against Trump in a big way because Trump championed Operation Warp Speed. He really still advocates for the vaccine. And under under Trump, a lot of trillions of dollars were printed up. And like, according to him, like we may, we are, we look at the um, liberals, and we think they're, they're bringing in socialism, that's going to ruin the nation. But he, one of the things he's famous for saying is, the left is running left, but the right is walking left. So he feels that both sides 
are going in the direction of socialism and communism. And he feels that, and I believe this too, that like people, the liberals hate, they hate Trump, but they should really like Trump because Trump has, under Trump, a lot of their goals have been reached through Trump. You know, like, for example, Operation Warp Speed and pushing the vaccine. So he's, Anomaly is not afraid to change his opinion of somebody just because there are a group of people saying, rah, 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 this is our leader. But couldn't you make the case that uh, although Trump instituted warp speed, he has also explicitly stated that it is a personal choice whether or not you get vaccinated or not? Yeah, that's a good thing. Has he stated that a lot? I mean, you would know more than I would. Is that his firm belief, though, that... I don't know what he believes, but he has stated it. He has stated I, I like that. I'm glad for that. And I don't hate Trump either, as you know. But I still am skeptical of both sides. Right, right. You know, I am. There's this quote that I wanted to share that I thought that, that this really struck me. Maybe you've heard of this. Fear is the enemy of logic. There is no more debilitating, crushing, self-defeating, sickening thing in the world to an individual or to a nation. Frank Sinatra said that. Did he really? What do you think of that? I think that's great. Could you read it again? Would you mind reading it again? Sure. Fear is the enemy of logic. There is no more debilitating, crushing, self-defeating, sickening thing in the world to an individual or to a nation. Sinatra. Wow. No, I think it's true. Do you see that for the longest time it seemed like courage, fearlessness, was something that people admired? It was something to aspire to? Oh, he's fearless. Mm -hmm. But we've yeah. been using this word mainstream doesn't it seem like in some ways fear has become a mainstream thing? It's like a, a a virtue now. Oh, yeah, it's like a virtue. It's almost like you're a hero for being fearful, which is a contradiction in terms, right? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I mean, there used to be a time when, you know, they, they used to say the show must go on, you know, <laughs> things like that. We have to continue. We have to live no matter what. But now the opposite message is coming through. They're trying to spread the opposite idea that we um, should be fearful. Like I think in the past, like if somebody was sick, like especially if a family member was sick, like the mother or who, the father, whoever's attending to like a sick child, would nurse that child back to health, even if there was a risk that they would catch what disease they, if it was a contagious disease, they would still feel that without even thinking about it, that they would have to take care of this child, for example, regardless of whether they were at risk of catching the disease. You know, isn't that true? I think so. So like now the message is like, stay away from anybody who has COVID and, like, if somebody, like, drops dead, don't even give them CPR or mouth-to-mouth, -mouth, even though that might save their life, because you can't break social distancing, because you might catch COVID. It's, like, the most dangerous 
thing that you could potentially intervene and save somebody, it's almost like contradicted by the rules of COVID, you know? Just let them die because you cannot come within six feet of them, you know? <laughs> I don't know if that's actually how it's played out in reality if somebody drops dead, but it's sort of like a message that you're getting. You know, at all costs, at all costs, save yourself from exposure to COVID, even if it means walking off a 10-story building and landing dead on the ground, you know? Well, I think it even goes beyond this fear of communicable diseases. I don't know if you heard about, it was reported somewhat in the news out in California, I think it was on a subway or some, I, I believe it was on a subway car, where a man was attacking a woman, and nobody, not one man, not one woman, nobody, nobody intervened, just allowed the attack to continue. Mm -hmm. I've heard about things like that happening, and I think that was happening even before COVID. We're like, we're more like a nation of spectators. People, you would think, you could imagine that they wouldn't help, but they'd probably all video, make videos of it with their phone. Yeah. It's like we just watch. Very similar to Brave New World. Yeah. We're not like, we're not ready to take action. It's like you're standing there looking for permission or not even looking for permission. Hmm. Before a person would act, I think a person would act. A person would resist. This is a question from a listener. This comes from someone who listened to your last interview, the one you did in 2018. This is from Karina. She says, what revelations have you had since the last interview in the context of diet and exercise? Any small change that we could make to look or feel better? Any game changer since then? Let me think. Nothing popped right out at me because I I think I I had my own routine of health, you know, eating and exercising. I don't think I've had any really big revelations on that, but I think a person who does a lot, like personally myself being a big exerciser, it's something to remember that sometimes not exercising could be good, you know. If you're overdoing it, don't do so much, you know. Right. And becoming more personally aware of that. And the one thing that comes to mind, this is just based on things that I've heard from the people I trust who talk about COVID, that getting vitamin D and zinc in your diet will help to support your immune system. So it, it's an important. It's important to have those things, right? That's something that's came with COVID. And I do take zinc, and I take vitamin D, and I take vitamin K. Zinc, vitamin D, and vitamin K. Yeah, and actually, a friend of mine mentioned, told me I, I had heard about the zinc and I had heard about the D, but he, my friend Rob, who the local Rob was showing me what he took. So I, t I take D and zinc and K for sure. Also the idea how healthy the sun is, you know, getting out in the sun and, and getting fresh air 
That's a revelation. That's definitely, I mean, not that I didn't know that, but when you experience having to be closed in, I haven't experienced it as much as, as some people have, but just being, having to wear a mask and noticing how it uh, impedes your breathing, it makes you appreciate open, fresh air even more than you ever did. Right. I can tell you I listened to an interview with Dr. Marilyn Singleton, MD, Marilyn Singleton, MD, and very, very smart woman, not only a physician, but also a lawyer. I mean, you want, you want to talk about something that gives you an idea of how well-rounded they are intellectually. Right. Marilyn Singleton, and she stressed, she said, have you ever noticed in this heightened look at, you know, mask mandates and all the things being vaccinated that they're pushing, she pointed out, she said, have you ever noticed they never tell you to get healthy? They never tell you to increase your consumption of citrus or onions or garlic. They never tell you to go take a walk or ride a bicycle or to go jogging. There's nothing about, that's one of the things, I mean, I've said this before to you personally, I'm all for someone if they choose to get vaccinated, but I think even someone who is vaccinated, if you're allowing your health to deteriorate, it's kind of like putting a chandelier in a haunted mansion. You know, it just, it makes me very, very skeptical of mandates. Yeah. Yeah, because I watched the um, Dark Horse channel on uh, YouTube that's hosted by, again, now these. There are so many people. There are so many alternative sources. I cannot remember their, all of their names. But Brett, I can't think of his last name. I think it's Weinstein. And his wife's name is Heather, and they are evolutionary biologists. And one of the things, I think, to him, the lowest hanging fruit to protect us against COVID when the pan so-called pandemic began was to take vitamin D. Right. And he said that that is, you know, there's just all kinds of scientific evidence that shows how important it is. If you are not low in vitamin D, then taking more isn't really going to protect you. But if you're low in vitamin D, it makes you very vulnerable for COVID-19. And a lot of people are, or a lot of people are low in vitamin D. Right. And the people who are obese, it's harder for them to absorb vitamin D. So he, this is an example of an educated scholarly person who I trust, who is saying that. That's important information that they never told us. Or if they did, they gave us short shrift. You know, I do remember Fauci mentioning it maybe once. Right. Or something, but maybe he just did that to cover his butt. You know, <laughs> if somebody asked him, well, I mentioned vitamin D once, you know, I don't, right. I don't know. But that, according to Brett, that's very important. What would you say to anybody out there who's listening, who they maybe have never considered thinking of things this way, and maybe they don't believe everything you believe, and that's totally normal, and I would encourage people to remember that if we all agreed 100% on everything, 
that's as close to a dystopia as you can get. What would you say to that person who's saying, you know, I have to say, I think John Paradise is making a lot of a lot of sense here. What would I say to them? Yeah. I would say keep an open mind and look to other sources of information other than the ones that you've been looking at. If you've been just watching mainstream news, give alternative sources a chance and listen to them. Don't just assume that they're wrong without listening. (laughs) That's what I would have to say. And I would like to actually say to everybody, no matter what side they're on, I think it would be great if it would be possible that we can all remain friends and uh, not hate each other and want to, like, lambaste each other with our opinions. Right. Uh, Which is exactly what I want to do. You know, I am very angry. It's hard to, it's easy to hate in, in, in the situation that we're in right now. It's easy for me to hate people who disagree with my point of view. Right. Because I really believe that the mainstream media and government and the elite is really, they are really attacking the common citizens of this world. Right. You know, so I am very upset about that. And I am 100% sure that even if I don't know exactly what's happening, you know, maybe I'm not, you know, there's some conspiracy theorists know exactly every detail of what's going on, you know. I don't claim to know every detail of what's going on, but I am 100% sure something is wrong, you know. Right. To quote Shakespeare, there's something rotten in the state of Denmark. (laughs) (laughs) I mean. Can we at least agree on that? You know, maybe, maybe the elite really aren't lizard people, okay? <laughs> but if you don't know exactly what's wrong, something is not right. Right. And one of somebody friend requested me on Facebook just today, and I was asking this person, "Why did you face? Why did you request? Why did you um, friend request me?" And she said. It was a quote that I have at the top of my Facebook page. At no time in history have the people forcing others into compliance been the good guys. Hmm. That's very good. You know? And I think that you don't need a scientific explanation to comprehend that. Hmm. Yeah. Very good. I think, you know, when you see what's happening, I think based on that statement... It's easy to determine who's good and who's bad. Yeah. Grossly speaking. There may be people who seem to be good, who aren't as good as we think they are, though. But it's easy to tell who's bad for sure. You know, there may be people who appear to be good that really aren't. You know, there may be controlled opposition. But you're definitely going to be able to tell who's definitely bad when you, when you consider the statement at no time in history have the people forcing others into compliance been the good guys? Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, that's my big quote at the top of my, I don't know, there's a name for that, but <laughs> at the top of the Facebook page, it's, that, that's, it says that. Well, John, the last time you were on, you sang a little, 
And in closing here, I wonder if maybe you you have a a, a song or a melody or something that you would like to close out the show with. I do. I do, actually. Let me, um, and I will sing you a song. I want to get my music, too. I know this by heart, but I want to look at the words as they're written in Italian. I will try my best. This song, I'm very sure that it's not. I think I'm very sure it's in public domain. It's called Nina, and I will sing it for you. Tregone song, che Nina, che Nina, che Nina. In letto se ne sta, in letto se ne sta. Tregorne so che nina, che nina, che nina. In letto se ne in letto se ne sta. Pilfery tin bunny chambly, then Sven ja Sven ja Johnny. That's it. Well, sir, I hope we have a chance to talk again sometime. So do I. All right. All right. Thank you very much. Talk to you soon. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, John Paradise. Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepaulleslie.com. That's thepaulleslie.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, the entertainer, written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano, the traditional song, Corina, Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. 
and we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.